Well, let's all take our Bibles tonight and open to the book of Revelation. And we love the books of Genesis and Revelation because they're so easy to find in the Bible. And they're so full of good things for us. Uh, in chapter 1, <coughs> oh boy, that was loud, wasn't it? <clears throat> Sorry about that. Uh, verse 3, you might want to uh, underline a couple of words here in verse 3 because this is a promise made to anyone who will read and, and listen to the book of Revelation. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. It gives you the idea that someone stood and read and then everyone else listened. It gives you sort of that idea. And truly, that's uh, what would have happened when um, the book of Revelation was uh, written and distributed amongst the churches. The churches would make copies and pass it on to the next church. And um, the copies they made were very, very carefully made. Uh, they knew they were handling the Word of God and they were very, very precise, very careful with their copies. Uh, these days, we just run things through a photocopier. Um, if we don't do that, then we make hasty notes. And sometimes words and letters change and meanings change, but things were a little different back then. And so look at that. There's a blessing for those who will read and those that will hear and keep. It reminds us of what James says about being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And so here in the book of Revelation, there are lessons for us to learn and we're going to learn some more tonight. But isn't that nice right off the bat that we see this nice uh, blessing here for us. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the, uh, the first 12 verses. We finish with that. We're going to be picking up in verse 13, but I do want to point out Verse 11, we have a reference to the Lord Jesus as the Alpha and Omega, the author and finisher. And um, he is God, a very God. That's one of the, the reasons we know he's God, because he is the author and finisher, the Alpha and Omega. And in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it was said of Jehovah God that he was the first and the last, and beside him there is no other. In verse 12, that's where we left off. Um, last week, and uh, we have the, um, the seven golden candlesticks here. And so I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And that is the, um, the, the place where we left off, and the Lord Jesus was standing in the midst of them. Well, how are we doing here? We ready with, there it is. All right, I think we're good. Let's pause for prayer and then we'll start in on verse 13. Our loving Heavenly Father, with all our heart now, we ask that you would please instruct and teach us. You promised us a blessing and we ask that you would do that. Not so much a blessing in warm, fuzzy feelings, but Lord, a blessing in answers to prayer, a blessing in increased faith, increased love, Increased dedication, increased sincerity. Lord, increased opportunities for service. These truly are blessings because when we get home to heaven, we'll be so well rewarded and compensated for them. And what a blessing it is, Lord, to love you and to serve you. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to, to do that. And as we consider the balance of this chapter, 
that you would definitely touch our hearts. Uh, Make us more like our Savior, please. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Okay, well, we're going to get into verses 13 to 16 here. We have a tenfold description of Jesus Christ. Now, you know something that I find really amazing, amusing? Actually, it's actually funny, to be quite honest with you. These uh, people, and there's lots of them, who claim to have died and gone to heaven. You see them sometimes in the news. They write books. They have movies and things like that. So-and-so died and he went to heaven and he visited around. They came back and he writes a book about it or makes a movie about it. And uh, their, their testimonies, they don't match up. They'll give different descriptions of the very same person in heaven. And they'll talk about heaven. They'll give different, different descriptions. One will say the angels all have wings. The other will say the angel, none of the angels have wings. And you'll get all of this discrepancy amongst all of these people that claim to have died and gone to heaven. You know, well, what's the truth, you say? The truth is in the Bible. It is appointed unto man once to die. Once to die. That's the appointment man has. You say, well, what about Lazarus? Well, God can do a few things we can. And so when God is present, he is able to do a few things like that. But uh, God's rule of thumb for 99.999999% of us is we die the once. There are people who claim to have a, a physical death on the operating table and they flatline and maybe later, you know, they, they come back. Well, that doesn't mean that their soul has left the body. And that's the whole idea of death. Death is separation. Uh, spiritual separation, the soul is separated from God. Spiritual in nature, physical separation is physical in nature. The soul is now separated from the body. The soul and the body separate. I believe that the body can be flatlined and the soul still in there. And I think this is what happens sometimes. The person is not really dead, they're still in the body. Now there may still be minute traces of life in, in the physical body that we're not aware of. That sort of thing happens. You do hear of people that come back alive in the morgue. They sit up. What am I doing here? Boy, what a, what a way to quit your job. Eh? If you're working in the morgue at night, you hand in your resignation at 2.30 in the morning. So we have the Lord Jesus uh, pictured standing in the midst of seven candlesticks. Now how good is this picture here? Can you see that all right? Is that too washed out for you? Can you see it all right? I don't want to really turn too many lights off here. But uh, there we have the Lord Jesus. And we've got the uh, seven candlesticks around him. He's standing in the midst. There's some detail here that you might not be able to see. But it's in the picture anyhow. And uh, we're given this fourfold description of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, oops. Pardon me, I got ahead of myself there. The first thing is in uh, verse 13, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son, capital S, the Son of Man. Uh, It's a reference to Jesus, and he's called the Son of Man. Why? Because he's 100% man and 100% God. He's both. He's God human, the God-man. That's why he's called the Son of Man. 
The second thing it says here is that he was clothed with a garment uh, down to the foot. Um, our English word garment means an outer functional vestment, such as a cloak or robe. Interestingly, it comes from the old French, garner means to uh, equip or furnish. So the idea is a, a robe of office, if you will, or a cloak, uh, outer and functional. And then it says here um, that he was girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So around the chest, he had what appeared to be like something like that the high priest would have. Now, this is the biblical description of the Lord Jesus. This is what the Bible gives us of the resurrected Christ when he came uh, to the Isle of Patmos and visited John. This is not what these people testify when they say they see Jesus. They don't see anything like what the Bible says. You know, they'll talk about how, um, how his hair is so long and flowing over his shoulders and golden and so on. Well, look at the very next item in, in verse 14. What color is his hair? White. Yeah. N none of the ones that go to heaven come back with any kind of description like this. They have these other very smooth, flowing ideas of, of Jesus. Truth is, they never were in heaven. They never have been in heaven. You say, well, how do you know that? From the Bible. Well, what if the Bible's wrong? Well, then, what are you doing here in a Bible study? <laughs> um, no, the, the Lord Jesus is given uh, this description here, and his hair is very white. It speaks of his eternal great age. And then look at his eyes. Look at his eyes. What are they called here? Eyes like what? Flame of fire. The people who claim to go up to heaven and visit Jesus. Oh, his eyes were so gentle and filled with tears and weeping, you know, and so mellow and so loving, compassionate like doves and so on. That's not what we're given here. When John turned around and saw Jesus, he didn't see anything like what these phony balonies say. This is what he saw. His eyes were like a flame of fire. The idea is that he can, he can burn right through. He can see right through to your heart. And that's good to know, isn't it? Because if he's going to be a judge, he has to be able to judge the, the thoughts and intents of the heart. He has to be able to do that. Human judges are fooled all the time. You and I, we're fooled all the time, aren't we? People can fool us. I get fooled. But no one fools Jesus. He sees right through. That's important to know. Alright, next is in verse 15. What are, there, what are his feet like? Tell me. Feet like fine brass. No one ever describes Jesus' feet like fine brass. They just don't do it. They don't describe his feet, in fact. But the idea of the fine brass here is pure, but sure-footed and established. And then in the same verse, his voice. What does it sound like? Say it out loud, please. Many waters. That's not what the modernists describe. These visitors to, uh, to heaven, they, they talk about his voice being so sweet. You know, the birds hush their singing. That's, that's what they, they, they say. But here, his voice is as many waters. That's like um, the, the crashing of the waves, if you will. Uh, that, this is not a gentle babbling brook. He's got a powerful voice. You can write down Psalm 29, verse 3 uh, there in your Bible. Psalm 29, verse 3, and it says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. 
The God of, of glory thundereth. The Lord, and that's a reference to Jehovah, is upon many waters. Again, only the voice of God Almighty, the Creator, Jehovah God, has that voice. And here Jesus has that voice. I guess Jesus must be God. And then we come to verse 16. And uh, here in his, uh, in his hand, in his right hand, he's holding something. And it, it says he's holding seven stars. See that? In his right hand, he has seven stars. And we say, wow, what could they be? What could those seven stars be? Well, if you look down, please, at verse 20, it tells you. This is a very important principle of, of Bible uh, interpretation. When, when we're given a symbol, we're normally given what it means. So, um, you know, the wonderful thing about a dictionary if you have a dictionary and you're reading the definition of something in your dictionary and you say, what does that word mean? Here it's the word in the definition. Maybe you look up the word bicycle and it, it has some, something and uses the word spherical. And you say, spherical, what does that mean? Well, the dictionary ought to have the word spherical in it, right? A good dictionary ought to interpret itself, don't you think? And so if you see the word spherical in a definition, you ought to go to the S's and look up spherical, and you ought to, oh, that's what it means. You can go back to the first definition. Now I understand. The Bible is like that. We see symbols, and then we are given the interpretation of the symbol. And so you've had time now to read verse 20. And so the stars uh, are what? Say it out loud, please. The angels of the seven churches. And we're going to wonder, what are the angels? Well, we'll get to that. Okay, maybe you already know. And so uh, this at first w must have been a mystery to John. When he first saw this, remember it's coming at him, you know, in real time here. Boom, 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 boom. And he's looking and in his hand he sees these seven stars. And he must be wondering, what are those? Until he gets to verse 20, it's revealed to him in verse 20. Uh, so, anyhow, what, what were the stars? They were, say it again, angels. So the angels of the seven churches. Now, some people believe that every church is given an angel. We don't have um, any reason to disagree with that, but uh, we're hard-pressed to find other scriptures that will back that up. It's difficult to find verses that say that every church has got its own angel. Uh, I know that there are angels that, that act as um, a guardian type angels. The book of Hebrews talks about uh, angels being ministering spirits to help people come to salvation. Uh, but I don't know of too many verses that would say that, um, like Grace Baptist Church, for example, has its own angel. The other and probably the more common idea is that the angel is a reference to the pastor of the church. And there's a few reasons for that. The, uh, the word angel, angelos, has that idea of an announcer. And that's kind of what the pastor does. Now, I don't mean he tells the announcements per se during the service, but he would speak forth. He would announce the word of God. Also, something else to keep in mind is that it doesn't make sense that an angel 
would, would get a letter? Why would Jesus dictate a letter to a man in order to give it to an angel? That doesn't make sense, does it? But it does make sense that Jesus would dictate a letter to John to give it to the pastor of a church. That makes more sense. So we'll know for sure when we get to heaven. But um, we do have our thoughts on that. Now in the same verse, verse 16, something comes out of his mouth. What comes out of his mouth? A sharp two-edged sword. What could that be? That's a symbol. What is it? The Word of God. Yeah, we have that already. Uh, where? Yeah, in Hebrews. Mm-hmm. And also, we can compare that also with Ephesians 6. You know, the Word of God. The sharp two-edged sword here. For the, uh, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12. Um, also, number 10. Now, this is the... I, I, prefaced by saying there was a tenfold description of Jesus Christ. Here's item number 10. And that's his countenance. And his countenance is as what? The sun. That makes sense because Jesus is the light of the world, isn't he? John 8. And uh, Revelation 21 as well. There's no more, no more need of the sun. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And so we've got this tenfold description. Wow, wow, wow. John wasn't expecting this. He was there on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's Day, no doubt Sunday. Maybe he had been conducting a, a church service, or maybe he was just kneeling on the, uh, the seashore there in prayer. Good thing to do uh, on the Lord's Day, spend time with the Lord. And while he was praying and Praying in the spirit there. He has this happen. He hears a voice. He turns around and there's this tremendous uh, revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we move now on to verse 17. John falls at Jesus' feet. In verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as, what's that word? As dead. It doesn't mean that he died. It means that he fell as if he were dead. Um, and now, uh, it says, He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me these words, Fear not. Fear not. Now, John, at this point, was already in the Spirit. He was already in the Spirit on the Lord's day. We know that for sure. And he was, no doubt, praying, worshiping the Lord Jesus. By seeing Jesus Christ, turning around and seeing Jesus Christ, he had the fright of his life because he was still human. He was still in the flesh. And so he fell, as it were, at Jesus' feet. And Jesus said, fear not. And that is good advice for you and for me. We live in a day and age when we can be just taken with fear. There's lots of things to be afraid of in this world. You see those bumper stickers? Sometimes, and they say, no fear. No fear. Well, that means that they're dead. That means they got no brain or something. There's so much to fear. There is so much to be afraid of in this world. And um, if we're wise, we'll, uh, we'll at least recognize that. 
And so anyhow, Jesus' words, fear not, is good advice in this troubled old world in the midst of all our problems. Now the Lord Jesus gives John five reasons for not fearing, and these are good reasons for us too. These are very good reasons for us. Um, Jesus says, number one, that he's the first and the last. This was the first reason that Jesus gave here in verse 17. And uh, it's something like verse 8 a little bit, isn't it? Where Jesus said, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. And so he says here he's the first and the last. Hebrews 12.2 talks about Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. There's the first and the last. Something else about being the first and the last is that he knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen. And so for that reason, our, our Lord is omniscient. We don't have to fear because, well, we say, what's going to happen tomorrow? Well, Jesus has already been there. He's already experienced tomorrow, every moment of it. And he can come back to us today and he can say, it's okay, I've been there. Fear not. So that's comforting, isn't it? That's comforting. Now, maybe tonight there's nothing particular that you're, you know, feared about. Everything is calm on the Eastern Front. The weather's good. Everyone's healthy. Everything's happy. Job looks secure. Well, that's great. Praise the Lord. But what about tomorrow? You know, when you get called into the boss's office and say, well, we got to do some staff cuts. And right away, you get sick in your stomach. And you have a thousand thoughts. Where am I going to find another job? What's going to happen to me? What this company I've given so many years for? Now, what, what about when, next week when you go to visit your doctor? And he says, I'm going to schedule you for some tests. I'm concerned about something. And you say, what, 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 what is it? Fear not, the Lord Jesus says. Now, we get to verse 18. And he says, um, uh, verse 18, he says, I am he that liveth. And so Jesus is alive. Liveth is a present tense uh, verb. And he is alive, he's alive now. Now the last time, the significance of this, folks, is the last time that the Apostle John saw Jesus. We're now up maybe 90, 95 A.D. The last time that John saw Jesus was like 60 years before this. That was the last time he saw him. And just in that short space of time, the last that he saw of Jesus, he remember he saw him crucified on the cross, a beaten, bloodied mess. And then his resurrected body when he rose from the, the dead. Peter and John raced to the tomb. And then for a, a short time after that, John saw Jesus and fell at his feet and loved him and worshipped him. But then Jesus went off to heaven. And so 50, 60 years have gone by at this point. And here is the Lord Jesus in this unbelievable Stunning state here. And he's alive. The idea here is he's still alive. He's still alive. Important. He says, was dead. In verse 18, he says, I'm, al I'm alive. I was dead. He died for our sins, right? Amen? That's why he died. He didn't die for himself. He died for you and me. Here's something interesting that that I found in this first chapter here. If you look at verse 10, uh, John says, 
I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and heard, and heard. Now I'm just going to make just a little application here. I'm just going to depart and make a little application. Someone says, I heard, I heard the gospel. Do you remember the first time you heard the gospel? Or did you, maybe you can't remember that back too far ago. Maybe you got little bits of it at a time or something. But at some point you must have heard the gospel. In verse 12, he says, I turned. That's when you turn from your sin. When you're going to get saved, you don't take your sin with you. You know it's the thing that's taking you to hell. And so not only do you hear the gospel, but you turn from your sin. Also in verse 12, uh, after he says, I turned and, and turned, and being turned, I saw. And in seeing, you would see his beauty. You would see your need of him. You turn from your sin and you see your need of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, um, he says, uh, I fell at his feet. I fell at his feet. And you receive him into your heart. So there's just, just something there I just wanted to share with you. There's kind of a gospel presentation almost in verses 10, 12, and 17. Well, Jesus says that I, I'm alive. I was dead. Then he says, I'm alive forevermore. And I think we can say amen to that. That's his eternality. His eternality. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Praise God that Jesus will never die. Never die. Not again. And number five is that he has the keys of hell and death. The only way he could do that is by being the righteous judge. He is the only one that has this. He holds the power of death. He is the judge of anyone who goes to hell. It's because he is the judge. Oh, amen. Jesus is still on the throne. We have nothing to be afraid of in this life, no matter what happens at home or at work or at school, in the street or in your backyard. We have nothing to be afraid of. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So John, turning, sees this incredible vision of Jesus. He's never seen this before. It's so overwhelming that he falls at his feet. He wouldn't fall on his back, on his head. He would have to fall on his face at his feet. When he turned and saw, he fell. Remember our charismatic friends, when they fall, it's always backward, isn't it? They don't never fall forward, do they? Well, rarely, rarely ever do you see that. Ninety-nine Times out of a hundred, whenever they fall, it's always backward and there's always someone there to catch him. A man who um, grew up in the Pentecostal churches, his father was a Pentecostal pastor, and I'm not sure, maybe his grandfather was too. He became a Pentecostal pastor. This is in Canada, in Alberta. A number of years ago, I think it was in the 80s, I've got his book on my shelf. The title of his book, I Was a Flaky Preacher. That's the title of his book. He grew up in the Pentecostal um, assemblies of, of Canada and so on, and he was used to all this and the falling down and all that stuff, and he, he preached it. He went into the ministry. And uh, one, he describes a meeting that he went to in Toronto, and uh, everyone was getting up on stage, and they were all falling back. And when it was his turn, 
the, the uh, speaker, the Grand Poobah, came and laid his hands on, on him and he fell back. And he said, he heard the audience gasp. And in that nanosecond, he realized there was no one to catch him. But he said he had to go along with it. And down he went and he whacked his head good. He was in pain. But he had to just lay there for a period of time and get up. <laughs> May have knocked some sense into his... Because you see, that's when he started asking himself, well, if God was really in this, why wasn't there someone there to catch me? And so he started studying his Bible more. What ended up happening was he stood up before his congregation one Sunday and he said, well, folks, he said, I love you. You're my people. I'm your pastor. But I've been studying extra on this Pentecostalism that we're involved with. And I've come to the conclusion that I, I don't believe it anymore. And he said, I know it breaks your hearts, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm tendering my resignation effective immediately. His congregation was stunned. You can well appreciate. You know, they knew this man for years. He'd pastor them. And I think he was in his 30s. He wasn't an, an old preacher. He was still in his 30s. But he loved them. They loved him. So what happened? The church people said, well, pastor, if that's the way God's led you, we're going to follow you. And the whole church came out of the Pentecostal movement. Isn't that something? You can look up his book. It's online. I was a flaky preacher. Interesting. Very interesting reading. John, he comes into the presence of Jesus and he's so overwhelmed, he falls at his feet, on his face, at his, at his feet there, and worships him. And so the Lord Jesus says, fear not. Now, we get to verses uh, 19 and 20. <clears throat> and we see here that... Uh, John was to do some writing. Jesus said, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. We've made mention before that this seems to be the key verse of the whole book of Revelation. Because we have past, present, and future all mentioned here in verse 19. And so the key to the book of Revelation is in verse 19. John was to write five things. He was to write the past. And you'll find that is chapter 1. All of the things of the past. You'll find the present is chapters 2 and 3. And that encompasses the seven letters to the seven churches. And you'll find the future is in chapter 4 through to chapter 22. But there was two other things that he was supposed to write as well. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars. He was supposed to write about that. Uh, and that's not all, uh, but also the seven candlesticks, the seven golden candlesticks. And so the seven stars were the seven angels, the seven pastors of the churches. The seven golden candlesticks were the churches themselves. Now John was on the, in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And uh, the, all of this happened. You know that when you're in church, God will do things for you that He won't uh, if you're out in the forest or if you're someplace else. God does that. He reserves the extra blessings for us when we gather ourselves together. 
in the house of the Lord. Be it on a Sunday morning, a Sunday evening, or a Wednesday evening, there's blessings to be had when we get together. God promises us that if we will read and listen to the words of the book of Revelation, that there's going to be blessings that He will put in our lives. Over the next months, we will be studying the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. And you can expect God to bless you in various ways. Don't you think wisdom is a blessing? I sure do. And I think that having the hand of God upon me when I go to prayer, I think that's a wonderful blessing too. To know God better, to know His heart and what He's like, to know what He wants and what He doesn't want, that's a blessing. These things are blessings because remember our lives here are very temporal. Even if we all had 50 more years to live, some of us would be a little on the old side, don't you think? 50 more years added to our present uh, birthday candle count in the cake. 50 more candles. Boy, oh boy. But still, it's nothing, is it? It's just like a story that's told, a, a, a wisp, a, a mist, a vapor that's here and gone. Our lives go by so quickly, don't they? It just seems like yesterday that we were 10 years younger. Yesterday that the children were little. Now they're, they're um, all running around. I noticed a little toy down here on the step. Well, I know how that got there. I didn't see how it got there, but I know how that got there. I didn't see who put it there, but I got a pretty good idea who put it there. One day, you know, the little hand that drives that little, little toy is going to be behind the wheel of a, a big 200 horsepower, big jalopy driving down the street. And it seems like it's just going to happen like that. Time goes quick, doesn't it? That's the way it, it works. Before you know it, we're looking down the barrel at, boy, am I going to be that old? Wow. The Lord's coming back. He may come back before those 50 more years happen. We think he may come back before 50 more days. We're not sure. We don't know. But it sure seems like the Lord's coming back. But the point here is that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, praying to the Lord Jesus and worshiping Him. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at His feet in worship. In fact, it, it moved him so much that, that he fell like a dead man. What is it, this worship? What is it? What does it mean <clears throat> to worship? <clears throat> worship is to feel in your heart and to express in some sort of appropriate manner. A humbling, but a delightful sense of admiring awe, an astonished wonder, and perhaps overpowering love in the presence of God Almighty. And His name is Jesus Christ. When was the last time you fell at His feet and you worshipped Him? You know, that's, that's not bad advice. That's not bad advice, folks. Worship is something we need to get in the habit of doing. You know, we, um, we find this in marriage counseling, that um, husbands and wives sometimes, they, they, they love each other, but they just have never expressed it. We find this sometimes in um, family counseling, where uh, 
parents love their children, children love the parents, but they just never verbalize it. They never do that. They never say, you know, I love you. They never give their kids a hug. Their kids never give them a hug. It's, it's just not done. Well, I know that that's the culture of some, but is that correct? I mean, even the Bible says that we're to greet one another with a holy kiss. And I know that's a cultural thing. I realize that. But I'm just using family as an example. We need to be in the habit. <clears throat> we need to be in the habit of telling God that we love Him. And we need to worship Him. And we should never be ashamed that anyone knows that we love Jesus. And that we, we've given our hearts to Him. And that he, he is the apple of our eye. He is the reason we get up in the morning. You know, the sun rises and falls on Jesus. That's the kind of relationship we need to develop with Him. That's the relationship John had with Jesus. And maybe that's why Jesus chose Him to reveal this tremendous book to. Well, let's close our eyes and let's pray.